Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Welcome, listeners. This is Divya Parekh with the Beyond Confidence radio show. I'm at your service, and I am delighted to let you know that my guest, Walt Grassel, is an amazing corporate leader and speaker, and I've had the pleasure not only to know him, but spend time with him during our conference together at Big Money Speaker, and... As I got to know Walt, I was definitely impressed by him, and I wanted to bring him on the show so that you could experience his wisdom and golden nuggets he has to share. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest today. Walt Grassel slices through I can't like a hot chainsaw through butter. He's a leadership speaker entertainer, writer, and radio personality. After his 37-year career with a Fortune 500 company, Walt chose to face his fear of speaking in public. He has studied stand-up comedy, improv, and acting. Through perseverance, he has overcome his fear and is now living his dream. He hosts a radio show, Stand Up and Speak Up, on the Radio Star Worldwide Network. He's the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Good Leaders Ask Dumb Questions. I can't wait to read. A little bit about myself. I'm your host, Divya Parekh. I'm an international leadership and business relationship coach, speaker, and author. I have had the fortune to author Voyage to Your Vision with several different leaders of the industry and Fortunately, it made the bestsellers list. And if you're on Amazon and if you Google me up, you may find several of my other books on emotional intelligence, critical thinking, leadership and influence, mindfulness. So definitely check me out. And I help business owners, leaders, achievers, coaching them to uncover your hidden motivators, that allows you to achieve your personal, professional, and financial goals with laser focus and unstoppable confidence. I say embrace your power and go to the next level. I'm going to invite Walt to share a little bit about more about himself, about his journey from corporate world to the speaker. So welcome, Walt, and please share about yourself with my audience. Well, thanks, Divya. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Before the age of 50, I had terrible stage fright, and it would affect me at work in terms of the night before I'd have to give a presentation. I didn't sleep well. When I got up, you know, I'd sneak a peek at my slides, uh, my PowerPoint presentation, and make eye contact with the audience. But, you know, my hands were sweaty. I would... uh, just really struggle to get through it. And if I was asked a question that I wasn't prepared for, I couldn't think off the top of my head. My mind would just go blank. And this not only hurt me in terms of how I was perceived by the audiences, if that was their only impression of me, but it also hurt in job interviews. But in spite of that, I rose to a um, to be a senior engineering manager. I led a department of 100 design engineers. So uh, I compensated uh, for my stage fright by studying leadership and being good at every other aspect of leadership besides presentations. 
uh, I thought I would spend my retirement golfing and sitting around watching TV, but at the age of 50, I decided to do something about stage fright. So I joined Toastmasters. I didn't make a whole lot of progress. I took some seminars, and during one of these seminars, somebody suggested I try stand-up comedy, and I said, there's just no way I could do that. But an opportunity came along to take a class. I took the class. The graduation involved the performance at the Hollywood Improv, and I was never more afraid of speaking and being in front of an audience as I was that night. But the fact that I was able to get up, do five minutes, get laughs, really turned the corner for me. And I continued to study stand-up, improv, sketch comedy, and now acting. And by just taking little steps to move myself forward and doing fun activities, even though they were scary, the fact that I got through them just continued to build my confidence. And now I'm a speaker, I host a radio show, and I'm living a life that is totally unimaginable. If you had asked me in my 40s what I would do when I retired, this is definitely not it. I would have said you were crazy. Wow, what a journey, and that is so impressive. That that just tells me that there is no age for anything. We always think in terms of our society that you know we have to shape up our careers in our early 20s, decide everything. However, it's never too late to live your dreams, and the thing that was frightening you, you just went ahead, took it by horns, the bull by the horn, so to speak, and went after it, tried so many different things, and you were able to get past your fear. So one of the questions that strikes me is, how did you, you know, you mentioned that before 40s, you were afraid of doing presentations, whether it was a small group. So what were the consequences when you did not face your fear of presenting or speaking in front of other people during those years? Well, I mean, it's, I, I alluded to it a little bit before. I definitely would have gotten promoted, I think, sooner because in group interviews, uh, when there was like HR and several of the hiring managers, organizations, people in the interviews, uh, I did poorly. I could answer the theoretical, like, what would you do in this situation? Yeah, I knew the answer and I could say it. But when they said, well, tell me a story when you did something that applies to that, my mind literally went blank and I couldn't answer those type of questions. And I was, promoted to department manager, even though I failed the interview, but my boss, who I'd been his sort of chief of staff, and he wanted to put me in charge of a department, he knew that that was just me blowing the interview, that I was definitely qualified. But uh, it's kind of a a weird dynamic. Had I addressed my fear of public speaking when I was younger, I probably would have advanced much higher in the company, and I might still be working there today. Because I had to deal with the fear of public, or I chose to deal with it later in life, uh, my career was you know, pretty much run out if I took early retirement at 55. So uh turned into a whole other way of living my post-retirement life. And you know, I don't know that I would have done it a different way if that makes any sense, is if I had done it earlier, I I probably wouldn't be doing the radio show, wouldn't be doing the improv, the stand-up, the acting. I would have just been a more successful corporate executive, and I would have still been in the corporate world at this time. So it's things happen for a reason, and when you're ready to move and take action, you'll do it, whether it's late. But I guess to your point, it's never too late to make that move. Mm, definitely. So if you have not overcome your obstacles, 
in the earlier part of your life, or whether it's even if you're young, you don't have to wait, or there is no right time. When you're ready to make the move, you're ready to make the move, and the whole idea is to go after what you desire and what you dream, and it's about just taking that step and not regretting the past. I love what you said. What resonated with me was that you don't know what would have happened if you had overcome your stage fright earlier in the game, and you may not have been the radio show host. So it is about the perspective, the way you take a look at the things. So if you could add some more thoughts to it, the way you presented that, yeah, my earlier life was good too, and the way you're looking at your past, you're learning from it, and if you can share your lessons learned from that part of the journey with our audience. Sure. I think the biggest, the, I, it, it's pretty simple in, in my mind. What it is is you need to come to a decision that you want to change things and then begin to take steps, and you want to take small steps because if we try and do something with a big step, we're more likely to, be overwhelmed by the size of that step. But, like, I joined a Toastmasters club, which was a good first step, but you have to speak. And I only spoke six times in the first 18 months. But by continuing to go to meetings and watch other speakers to um, go to a speech contest and see better speakers, it exposed me to the fact that people who are normal like me could be speakers. And then I went to some training. And so that was another small step. And then I was encouraged to take stand-up. So I took a stand-up class, which was a small step. And then the graduation was a performance, which was a big step. And I know some people who took the stand-up class and chose not to do the graduation because they were afraid. And I, I, once I committed, regardless of how afraid I was, I took the step. Or if I, I started competing in Toastmasters speech contests, and at first I would lose at the smallest level at the club, then I would uh, move on to the area and then lose there for a while until I moved to the next level. And each time the audience got bigger, and each time I would speak to the bigger audience, I would be afraid. But when I faced the fear and did it anyway, you develop a power that says you can't, it's okay to be afraid, it's okay to get through it, and once you get through it, regardless of how it comes out, and most of the time it comes out a lot better than you feared, it gives you that confidence to keep moving forward. And I believe, kind of with hindsight, that if somebody is interested in playing a musical instrument and they have stage fright, that if they go and take a class where they can make mistakes and stumble and get used to being themselves and learning and stumbling and getting up in front of other people, that that just wears down that resistance. And now it's to the point where I can get on the radio, on my show, be a guest on somebody else's show, get up on somebody's stage without any preparation and be interviewed or prepare a speech. And I know that I just have to be myself, communicate what's inside of me, and it may not come out perfectly. There may be pauses. I may say an um here and there. It doesn't matter. The main thing is, is I speak from the heart. I communicate what's inside. I share my lessons learned, and I uh, give people the knowledge that you don't have to be exceptional to do good things, and anybody can do it. And I like to say, if Walt can do it, you can do it. It's just a matter of not putting yourself in a box, not being afraid. Do the best you can, and people will respect that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So the question comes, you mentioned that in the Toastmasters, it's about the process. It's about the inputs, just not the outputs. Because coming from a corporate background, we are always looking at the outcomes. We're looking at the objectives. We're looking at the results. However, 
traveling through the coaching world and the mentoring and speaker and author world, what I've realized is that inputs, the inputs, the efforts that you put in, the journey that you travel, the process that you're building, that all allows those little experiences to get integrated into your brain. And then as a whole, when everything comes together, slowly by slowly, you are building or laying down the foundation blocks of your confidence. And then it takes a time. It's not a overnighter. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. As people say that, you know, Rome was not built in a day. Similarly, mm-hmm. you cannot get rich in confidence within a day. So from what I'm listening is that you spend that time during Toastmasters and stuck with it. You had the tenacity to stay with the process. And during those times, did anything come to your mind that when you felt like giving up and how did you overcome that? Um I, I came across an expression that I love. It says, there's no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. And, you know, if you if you think about that and you get comfortable, and from my corporate experience, I learned about the importance of process. If you have a good process and you follow the process, you will typically get good results. And if you don't get good results, then you figure out how to change the process. So I sort of evolved a process, and I trusted that as long as I was taking steps and practicing the techniques, be it speaking through Toastmasters, be it stand-up comedy, learning how to write jokes and get uh, get laughs from audiences, improv, learning how to uh, think when I don't necessarily, when I'm not prepared and trust that I can pull what's in my head out in the moment by being present. All these things, uh, by by trusting that process and doing the work, and I've been studying creativity on this journey as well, and a lot of it is about don't worry about the result. You're not necessarily trying to create a masterpiece. You're trying to just polish and carve and, and chip away and create and build and take this idea and that idea, mix them together, see what comes out that experimentation, that process, there's joy in the process. And if the result of the process is great, that's fantastic. If it's average, that's okay too because you learn as you grow and you create. Uh, And if for some reason it totally bombs, then you just put it aside and tweak the process and create something new. And it's not about the result. I think in society... Uh, too many people are results-focused. They want to hit the lottery. They want to take a pill to lose weight. They want that instant gratification. And life is a lot more enjoyable if you just break it down, follow the process, take the steps, build build yourself, and go on a journey and see where it takes you. And then when you get to a certain point, then decide where you want to go next based on what's happened to you in the past and where you want to go in the future. It's it's simple and it's effective, but it's not the way a lot of people think. It's not that instant gratification, that elevator to success. And in my corporate career, I ran into a lot of employees who thought that, well, if I just got promoted, people will do what I say, not realizing that leadership is about influence and relationships with people. It's not about having a title and a position where you can just impose your will on people. So, um, you know, those, those, those are kind of my thoughts, that it's, it's these small steps that you educate yourself on and you try and incorporate into your life and you see what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And you keep the things that work and you discard the things that don't. Mm, so true. Once you mentioned about a process, would you be open to sharing the process that you have developed and how do you use that to continue on the path of progress? Um, I, I mean, I guess I, I have a general process, but were you speaking in a particular area for a particular result or just in general, how do I attack things? 
So I'm talking about the process when you said that you, uh, when we were talking about the Toastmasters, you mentioned about that I came up with the process and I trusted the process as I moved forward in life. Oh, okay. Yeah, basically there, there are kind of three parts. You have to learn and study, then you have to practice and you have to perform. And early on in my process, I was big on learning because I was a, afraid of performing. And after I got to a certain point with the learning in the in this overcoming stage fright, I would go from learning and then I would practice a little bit and then perform and and fail, you know, and have problems with the performance because I didn't put enough time in the practice. And then I learned to practice more. And when I would perform it was almost too much of uh, trying to, like, memorize a speech, and I came off as mechanical, and I didn't have a lot of variety in my tone because I was basically recite, uh, reciting a speech or reading it off the teleprompter in my head, and you could almost see my eyes going up and to the right as I'm reading the speech in my head. And it was only after I studied improv and trusted that if I practiced the speech enough ahead of time something close to what I wrote would come out but it would come out naturally and if I left something out the audience didn't know what I what I had intended to say so it didn't really matter as long as I spoke and was present it would make sense and it would be close enough to what I had prepared so the preparation practice and uh, performance aspects need to be kept in balance and that is the way I do anything if I'm writing a book the first thing I do is I do the research then I just put a whole lot of words on paper and then I edit it to make it make sense and polish it up and reduce the complicated sentence to more simple sentences and things like that so it's the process is basically study dive into the work and then polish the work and, and present it, and then when you're done, let it go. Because one problem that a lot of people have, and I had at one time, was wanting to be perfect. I didn't speak the, but six times in 18 months because even though I was afraid, I wanted each speech to be perfect. And when you're a beginner, you're not going to be perfect. When I studied stand-up comedy, they said, go to an open mic and compare yourself to beginning speakers. Don't compare yourself to, I mean, uh, beginning comedians. Don't compare yourself to Jerry Seinfeld because he's been at this for years and you're always going to fall short in that comparison and it's okay to be a beginner in something and just get up, take a step, learn from the result of the step and then take the next step and the next step. It's, it's, it's that simple. It just requires patience that you're not going to get to the end point and be perfect. Well, you're not going to be perfect ever, but you're not going to be at a high level overnight. Mm. Yes, it's not overnight. Thank you for sharing your process because the process is what helps us build the confidence and build our skill sets. It's just not about having the confidence and going on the stage and talking about anything because if you don't have the material, and as you mentioned, you know, you had perfected your speech. However, you were coming out mechanical. So it was about developing that skill set and integrating the skill set and confidence and blending it together so that it became part of you. It was who you were and then that knowledge became part of you and it was coming out as an authentic world. So one of the things I've heard you mention is improv. Mm -hmm. Can you share a few stories how improv helped you overcome the stage fright? Yeah. Uh, I took probably well over 500 hours of improv uh, before I went to study at a famous improv and sketch comedy school called The Groundlings. And it took me almost 100 hours of improv classes to get over or to learn the skill of being in the moment. Um, 
in improv, improv is unscripted comedy. If if people aren't aware of that, uh, there are, but there are rules of improv. And when you're in an improv scene, people try and move things forward by going back and forth and adding information and agreeing what was with what was said before. And one of the things I had to get out of was my head. I would try and anticipate where the story was going, or I would decide, okay, this is where this scene is going to go. Well, the problem with that is if my improv scene partner wants to take the scene in another direction, uh, which, because they don't know where I'm going, the chances of that happening are very high, all of a sudden my mind would freeze up because that's not where I wanted to go. And so finally one day after about 100 hours of classes, I showed up and uh, I was so tired I couldn't think ahead. And all of a sudden improv got easy. And the more I did improv and, and learned that skill, the more confident I got. Now, I wrote a magazine article that talked about some of the rules of improv and how they apply to business. Would you like me to share those? Oh, I'd love that. I'm okay. sure Maori loves that too. All right. Well, one of them, the, the basic one is I, I alluded to before is about agreement. You say yes. And if somebody says, I'm handing you a blue rock, you can't turn around and say, oh, thanks for the loaf of bread. It's a blue rock once they label it as that. Well, how many times in a workplace environment has an employee come to a supervisor and said, you know what, I I feel this way. And the supervisor goes, oh, no, you don't. You're just blah, 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 blah. And they deny what the person told them instead of saying, okay, you feel this way. Why is that? And try to understand it. So there's a very strong correlation with that agreement. People need to agree with what somebody says. Or if uh, two people with different points of view on a team are expressing their opinions instead of trying to convince the other person that their point of view is the right one. Again, it comes to that. Try to understand why they say that. Agree that they feel that way. And then once you both understand that uh, you have differences of opinions, then you can find a common ground. Uh, another improv rule is about mistakes. Uh, mistakes happen. They happen in life. They happen in improv scenes. Instead of uh, in improv, you learn that if a mistake happens, it's actually a gift because you can take it and build upon it. Whereas in a corporate environment, when something goes wrong, a lot of people want to figure out who to blame instead of saying, okay, this happened. Why did it happen? How can we prevent it from happening? And how do we recover from this thing that happened? Uh, one of the classic mistakes was the post-it note, right? An employee was creating um, an adhesive and it didn't have a, a high strength, and they took that mistake and it, you know turned it into a post-it note. Um, another thing you learn in improv is that there's no perfect place to start an improv scene. And you just start someplace and then you layer on agreements and a scene develops. Well, in the corporate environment, sometimes we spend a lot of time at the start of a project planning, 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 thinking, talking. And sometimes you just need to start and then correct because if you wait too long to get started, you can never reach the end point. And obviously, I'm not saying never plan but sometimes we spend so much time in a planning phase that we never move and get results. Uh, another rule for improv is about making your partner look good. If an improv player tries to make a joke, make themselves look good, they kill the scene. And beautiful improv involves giving and taking and back and forth. And that also works in a corporate environment. People are trying to hog attention and be the star or look good so that their personal, they put their personal uh, success ahead of the success of the team. The team usually isn't as successful, but if everybody's playing together, trying to make 
the entire team look good, trying to make other individuals look good, sharing credit instead of hogging credit, uh, it's a much better place to be. And um, the fifth and uh, final tip I mentioned in that article was about uh, being present in the moment, focusing on the now. If you're in a meeting in a corporate environment and you're worried about what's happening after you leave the meeting, or if you're checking your email or your text messages and you're not paying attention, the purpose of the meeting is to share information and get to a common ground, and that requires everybody in the meeting to be present. Or if you're having a conversation with somebody and you're only half listening, that doesn't lead to success. So those five rules of improv about saying yes, it's okay to make mistakes, start somewhere, making your partner look good, and being in the moment have direct applicability to a corporate environment and personal relationships. It's, uh, improv is a skill that is becoming popular now, and if anybody has a chance to take an improv class, I highly recommend it, with the caveat that when you start, it's going to be difficult if if you if you struggle with it, that's normal, I guess is the point I want to make. And don't let that cause you to quit and not come back. If you stick with it, you learn these skills, they become very, very powerful and a great thing to have in your personal toolkit. Mm. Wow. I never realized that improv was so powerful, of course, you know, gone and watched several comedy shows. I've watched improv and I used to be in California. And you never realize how much goes into it. And 500 hours. Wow. Well, that was a lot of time you invested. It's again, listeners, whether you're interested in yourself or invested in yourself. So if you're interested, it's about like going and just renting a house. And if you're invested in yourself, you make a commitment and you buy a house and then whatever comes with it, pain and pleasure both you're ready to take on. So the improv is very powerful. And as you mentioned, that anybody can take classes. So let's say if I wanted to take classes, where would I go and find those classes? Well, in in the Los Angeles area, Uh, Some cities have them as part of their adult education. Other cities have it as part of parks and recreation. And other, uh, there are professional schools that are for actors. Um, So depending on where you're located, it it may be different. But it's becoming more and more popular. And in the beginning, it doesn't have to be with Second City or the Groundlings or the Upright Citizens Brigade or uh, any of these big improv schools, if you can find anybody that's uh, teaching them at a local level, uh, I highly recommend it. And, you know, I took it for several years, and, uh, in fact, I'm still taking about a class a year uh, just to keep honing my skills. It's, It's very powerful. And I would check with your, well, I would Google improv in my area, but it would probably be your adult education, uh, parks and recreation, or uh, uh, an acting school. Mm. Wow. And that is very information-packed half an hour that we have had. Thank you for sharing. And... Hold on to that thought. We will be back. And I would like to share our upcoming episodes that you would love to listen to. So let me just share about the one that is scheduled on January 2nd at noon. It is Create Your Bliss with Nika Annan. Nika interviews shamanic practitioner Liv Wheeler. And it talks about that how Liv Wheeler, who is a conduit of wisdom and guidance from the other side, 
She helps people to connect with their loved ones and spiritual guardians and allies on the other side. She has she's a voice for the little people and she transmits their wisdom and guidance to people to this side. So if you are wanting to listen, please join them and create your bliss. The call in number to speak with the host is six four six seven one six nine three nine seven. And listeners, you can find me at contact at deviaparik.com. And coming back to our show, so Walt mentioned that you can go in the recreational programs, Google up improv. It can be an acting school. It can be in any part of the areas. It can be a professional school. You can start in any capacity. Now, one key thing that popped out to me was that Walt is still going to the classes to keep his skills sharp. And Walt, if I may ask, what is the reasoning behind going to the classes even after 500 hours from you sound so confident, the way you speak, And I would not have thought that you would have continued to go to the improv classes. So what's the reason behind that? Uh, Well, maybe this comes from my background as as playing sports. Uh, You know, once you start, you get to a certain level. If you you rest and if you're not improving, you're you're getting worse. there, There is no way of staying still. So... I still belong to Toastmasters clubs, even though I, I'm comfortable as a speaker. I take improv and acting classes because I want to continue to get better and polish my skills. Uh, when I graduate, or when I took the leap of going from the beginning class, which had the same group of people, and I just repeated it over and over and over in improv, and finally took a step up and went to the intermediate class. Uh, it was a big challenge going to both the beginning and the intermediate and for two purposes. Uh, When you work with beginners, it takes a certain skill set and can make you better to help lift them up. I'll make a tennis analogy. Uh, When I learned to play tennis, if somebody was trying to hit balls to me and hit them past me, then I couldn't really learn well. And as I got better, and if I was playing with a beginner, I would, instead of trying to win every point, I would try and keep the rally going. Because I was a better player, they would make a mistake before I would. But there was a challenge and a skill set in practicing of giving them, hitting the ball in such a way that they could hit it back. And in improv, I would, with beginners who I knew were afraid, I would try and gently lead them to the next, uh, to a response, make it easier for them to play. Uh, Professional golfers uh, have swing coaches. I'm taking an acting class with a fitness champion, and she trains four times a day and has multiple coaches that, that coach her on her routines and on different aspects of being fit. There is, you know, you're never done learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I read hundreds of blog posts a day. I read books constantly. I'm constantly trying to get myself better. So it's almost like, well, why wouldn't I continue to take improv classes? Why wouldn't I want to continue to make myself better? Because there's always room to grow, and I want to be in a growing mode, not a stagnating or dying mode. Mm. That is... Very powerful, and I totally agree with you, Walt, because coming from a science background, what has been the biggest lesson that we have learned from nature? It's evolution. And if we stop evolving, we stop growing. If we stop growing, we stop learning. And as I'm sure you have seen, if the water is stagnant, all you see is 
mosquitoes breeding in it. You see the bacteria and the water becomes so polluted that you can't even drink it. It not only gets contaminated, it is unusable. There is a running water anywhere. You go through the mountains and the streams that are running. It does not become a bacteria ground, does not become a breeding ground for mosquitoes, or it does not become contaminated. It stays fresh. It stays usable, and it sustains. So to sustain the growth and sustain the success, it's it's easy to achieve success, but to stay at the top of the mountain of success, you need to be learning and growing. And, Walt, that was very deep. It well, really makes sense, definitely makes sense that you're growing and also by learning you always find that there is something else that you can sharpen your skills there's always something more to learn you can never be at the topmost because there's always a next level would you agree yes yeah and i mean i kind of learned that being in the technology field if i had stopped staying abreast of the trends in technology when I graduated from college. I mean, they had just gone from punched cards to computer terminals. And, you know, technology changes all the time. So it was impressed upon me that your learning doesn't stop when you get out of college. But And that's kind of obvious when you think about something concrete like technology. But when you think about the soft skills and personal development, uh, you know, that's I've, I've been a constant uh, reader of management books. Uh, one of the most powerful books that I've ever read was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And, you know, one of those habits is constantly, he uses the term, Covey does, uh, sharpening the saw. You always want to uh, sharpen your, your tools. You want to be better, more capable. And the only way you can do that is by continuing to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Sharpening your saw. I'm a fan of Stephen Covey's as well. And that is so true. So let's talk about the book that you have already published, and I've had the pleasure to read it. It's it's a great book. How about if you tell a little, little bit about the book and what went through your mind and spirit as you were writing the book, and how did you evolve with the book yourself? Okay, as part of my reinventing myself, and I, I use the term Walt 2.0, like a software revision. Uh, <laughs> I, I, as I left this corporate world, uh, I, was, I was a man with a story, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And someone says, well, you have, if you have a process, then you can sell that process. And I didn't really have a process. I just had what I think and or I've been told is an inspirational story of overcoming stage fright late in life. And that's where the branding Stand Up and Speak Up came up. And that's the title of the book and the title of the radio show that I do. But I thought about, well, how did I get there? And there's a show called NCIS. And one of the characters played by... Mark Harmon is called, uh, his name is Gibbs, and he has Gibbs rules, and they allude to him like, well, that's rule number 52, never leave your partner alone or whatever. And I said, okay, you know, being a, it may be a little arrogant, but I was going to come up with Walt's rules for overcoming stage fright. And coincidentally, they were similar rules to what I used to be a successful project manager and leader in aerospace. So I just collected these rules and told a story that illustrated the power of the rules. And some of those rules uh, we've talked about already in the show. It's like uh, take small steps and, you know, why it's important to do that, uh, why it's important to uh, agree. Uh, you know, sometimes even people with improv experience blank out. I have to look up my own rules. But... <laughs> It's, it, it was just a collection of a rule with a story that supports why you should do it, like the importance of learning, the importance of, uh, of practice, and just little personal anecdotes 
that illustrated the rule, and it's not magic, because I truly don't believe that there's anything exceptional about me other than I chose to take action. And you know what I mean? Anybody can do what I do as long as they are willing to make a decision to take a, to take a next step in the direction they want to go and then just take another step and another step. And anybody can do it. And that's all I'm trying to inspire people to do is whatever change they want to get in life, you just take steps, take steps, take steps. Take steps, take steps, take steps, yes. It's about taking the step and taking the action. So if people wanted to find the book, where could they find your book? And let's say if they want to contact you, where they can reach you if they have additional questions. You, you can find me online at waltgrassel.com, and the last name is spelled G-R-A-S-S-L. Uh, and you can get the book on Amazon as well. You can listen to the radio show on the Radio Star Worldwide Network. And um, I'm happy to interact with people. I'm on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I enjoy getting the word out, helping people, and uh, soon to be speaking on stages uh, with a book called Good Leaders Ask Dumb Questions. (laughs) Uh, Could you share a little bit about your upcoming book? Yeah, um, one of the things I found was very effective in meetings in the corporate environment, uh, but it took it, it takes a little bit of courage to ask a question that some people may think is stupid. Uh, for instance, if you're in a meeting and you have mechanical engineers, uh, electrical engineers, program managers, finance people, and for some reason the quality representative isn't in the meeting and an issue is being discussed and you know without the quality viewpoint the team could come out of the meeting with a decision that may not work so i would put on the quality person's hat and ask questions i thought they would ask some of those questions were oh yeah we've already got that uh, whatever but if people every once in a while maybe one in 20 times that quote-unquote dumb question was actually not a dumb question. And the fact that I asked it, we would resolve the issue or uh, discover a problem that would require further investigation, but it's like pay me now or pay me a lot more later. So we paid now and resolved the issue. So I always used to joke, yeah, I'm the vice president of dumb questions. That's why they invite me here. You know, when you ask those questions, especially if you're the leader of a team and you're supposed to be the one with all the answers, which isn't true, by the way, uh, I was never afraid to do that. So that's the that's the catchy title, and that's a, one of the many kind of out-of-the-box ideas I have on leadership. And the book is going to be a collection. It's, it's in process now, uh, a collection of, those unconventional and some conventional leadership ideas I acquired in my almost in my 37 years of leadership. Mm. No, that's great. And can you also share about the topics that you speak on and which one is very close to your heart? Uh, well, the, the one that is I, I'm most passionate about is overcoming fears. Uh, I've been, uh, I really feel passionate about that, but that's not really a marketable speaking skill because how many corporations are going to bring me in to tell people that they should overcome their fears and leave their dreams, which most likely would involve leaving their company? Eh, probably not going to pay <laughs> me to do that. But, uh, <laughs> so, mm. um, I, I, I love to speak on that. I love to share leadership, and the more I do it, like today, sharing leadership secrets and uh, the tips that I've learned, 
you know, we kind of discount that when we leave corporate and go out on our own as entrepreneurs, we kind of discount all that time and all those lessons we learned. So I am very passionate about leadership and maybe being uh, a little bit of an out-of-the-box thinker and, uh, you know, sharing very simple ways to get better results. Uh, Another thing, it's been suggested to me, and I think it would be a very powerful thing, I sort of talk about it indirectly, is talking to seniors or retirees about what to do with the rest of their life. I mean, I'm a living example that you don't just have to sit around and uh, play golf and watch TV or play cards at the local senior center. There's, There's more things you can do in your retirement. So, that's another area I'm exploring talking to. And I, I love sharing whatever I've learned in you know my almost 60 years around here. I've, I've learned a lot, and I just want to share it and, and kind of leave a legacy. Mm. No, lovely. And from what you said that, you know, it's, it's about, you know, leaving the corporate world and following the dreams Corporates are not open to that, and yet what I'm finding is that, you know, not everyone has to leave the corporate world and go start their own business out there. The key is being happy where you are. It's about going within, reflecting upon yourself, finding out who you are, know thyself. I don't know if it came from Socrates or Shakespeare But the key is about gaining that clarity. And once you have the clarity, you will find that that corporate world can be extremely rewarding to myself being in a pharmaceutical world and being part of the team where we used to bring life-changing and life-saving medications. Yes, it was hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. However, so many times when we would be frustrated and upset, and then we would think, you know, what it is, the why, what is the end game over here? And then that could also help knowing your why and gaining that clarity that what is important to you, to finding the joy where you are. Because think about it, if everybody became entrepreneurs, the world wouldn't run, or if everybody was incorporated, it wouldn't run. So it's, it's a bag and mix of all of us that makes the world go around and world be a beautiful place. So look for your why into the corporate world because as part of the corporate, you're providing service to humanity in some form or shape so if we did not have technology. And as you mentioned, being the aircraft company is if we did not have people working in corporate world making airplanes, trains, and so many other things, we would not be able to survive. So it's it's about finding the joy where you are. And I, I agree. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, I was saying that facetiously about overcoming fears. You know, I believe it applies to within a corporate environment. And I believe that within – I mean, I was happy in my corporate career – uh, because I approached it kind of from an entrepreneurial point of view within the corporation. I was my own personal brand, if you will, and I made myself a valuable resource within the company. I didn't just show up and punch a clock, clock and do a job. I was constantly improving my value. I was open to suggestions. Uh, I put forth suggestions that some were taken, some were felt to be a little too radical by the bosses, and that's fine. That's their responsibility. But I was never afraid to share what I felt. And, yeah, you you need both. And I didn't mean to imply if I did that. Oh, no, you did not. It's just that. You definitely did not imply that, Walt. You know, I was just taking your train of thought and expanding on it so that they are. Yeah. Listeners can listen to the both sides. It definitely didn't come out that way. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, it's just that as a as a speaker, though, encouraging people to like overcome their fears and grow, that could be seen as you know, even if it's just a handful of key employees who really aren't happy, but they provide a service, and it's a fear that's keeping them back from going out on their own. Uh, 
they don't necessarily want to encourage that. Now, if I were a CEO of a company, I would want people to maximize themselves, whether it was in my company or somewhere else. It's kind of like if you love someone, set them free. If they return, then you truly have something. If you have to keep people there. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I spent most of my life in a corporate environment making a difference, helping to keep our warfighters safe and our country safe. I, uh, I think we should all find what we can do. And sometimes you have to make a trade-off between what meets your economic needs and what, uh, where you find joy. But to the extent that you can find the most amount of joy and meet your economic needs, that's where happiness is. And I was happy for like most of my corporate career. And when I was unhappy, it was for, you know, a few days or weeks or whatever. It was not, you know, of the 37 years, it wasn't 20 years of unhappiness. Uh, most of the 37 years were, were great, and it was mostly, and the people were great that I worked with. So I wouldn't do anything different. Yep, and you definitely said that earlier on, that if you had perfected the gift of the fear earlier on, you would not have become the radio show host, and now you have given us another perspective that you enjoy your corporate career so it's about bringing the joy where you are. Right. I, yeah, definitely. It's even regardless of what, where you are dropped, whatever circumstances, we all have a choice. And, again, this comes from Covey, uh, which I wholeheartedly agree with. We have a choice to make the best of the situation we're in or we can feel sorry and complain and gripe about it. And we either make the best, and if we choose to change it, then take steps to make change. But sitting around and complaining and feeling sorry for ourselves when we're in certain circumstances, that's very debilitating and it will will make people unhappy. But if you realize you have a choice to do the best you can in the circumstances you're in and the choice to take steps to move away from or further into your circumstances and that you control that, that's where extreme power and extreme joy comes, you know, it comes to me. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I agree with you there, Walter. And actually, uh, I am glad that we had our conversation today. It's been such a joy having you on the show. It was an honor to have you on the show. And, I am actually thrilled to say that, that, you know, we demonstrated how being in your true self and being comfortable in your skin helps because right here we are live. We are on a live radio show and we were able to work through our conversation where Walt said something and I added to it and Walt went back and checked on whether what he had conveyed was what he had conveyed. And maybe what I'm saying is it's pretty roundabout loop, but uh, long story short, we were able to demonstrate a point and prove our point, and that only came by being in your own authentic self, where you are not afraid of asking the question. So you actually even demonstrated what your book's going to be about. That's a yeah, great thank example. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just a matter of being authentic. And if you, if you say one thing and do something else, uh, people may not notice it right away, but they won't buy into what you say. But if you can demonstrate like what we did, we were in the moment in the conversation and we checked to see, you know, we asked a question that, you know, might have been dumb was, of course, you didn't badmouth corporate. Well, I didn't know, or, or I wanted to just double check. You know, so some, some of the rules that I talked about, it, I implemented because they're not just something I made up and talk about. It's, it's how I live. I, those rules are ingrained in me, and, and I find them extremely useful. And I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. I didn't realize we were doing it, but now that you mentioned it, we were. Oh, absolutely. And 
I just wanted to share with our audience because sometimes we are listening and you had mentioned something about being present in the moment and that's one of the things I'm an avid believer too is about having the mindfulness and when you are in the moment you can observe so many things you can live you can thrive so once again I would like to thank you and appreciate that you join and share your golden nuggets with our audience and listeners I'm positive that our listeners benefited and thank you very much again Walt for joining me on this show you're welcome thank you for having me it was my pleasure and um, I really enjoyed it thanks thank you Walt and listeners this is Divya Parekh We are almost done with our Beyond Confidence radio show episode today. If you need to reach me, you can find me at contact at diviaparek.com, C-O-N-T-A-C-T, at D-I, V as in Victor, Y-A, P as in Peter, E-K-H.com. And you can also visit on my website, www.diviaparik.com. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your time today and thanking our guest again. And until next time, in 2016, have a blast of New Year's Eve and welcome 2016 with joy and pleasure. Thank you and take care. Until next time, bye-bye.